Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, so glad that you're here this morning. Good morning to all of you watching and listening online. Good morning to all of you up in the port this morning. We're so glad that you are with us in Port Perry High School. Welcome to week two in our new series called Biblical Well-Being. Last week, if you were with us or you were in a connect group later and you watched online, Pastor Mary and Pastor Dave began to outline our new care strategy so expectations would be crystal clear for all of us. We're a church of 2,600 people and growing, and our God-given vision is to reach 10,000. And so we need to care well now for each other, but we also need to care well when thousands more join us. And the question that we're wrestling with as leaders and all of us together as a family is how do we do care honestly and biblically and yet also in a sustainable way? Now last week, if you were with us, you know that we began to outline the new formalized care strategy and we did it in a very simple way by talking about three pillars of care. The first one was shared responsibility. And we were very clear that the primary place for care in our community is going to be through connect groups. And we said that if you're not involved long-term in a connect group, then care will be very hard to get and very hard to give. And Pastor Mary talked about three simple ways we can care for each other in really biblical, sustainable ways. She talked about presence. She talked about, and so did Pastor Dave, that when we are with someone and we are just present there with them, though we may not have all the answers, when we are present, that is caring. And she also reminded us last week, we are to say very little. Anyone been in a crisis before where you get a Christian answer that was sort of stupid? Anyone already raised their hand? We don't do that. We are present, we are silent, and we are there. We talked about the power of prayer. We as Christians believe prayer changes the world, prayer changes the trajectory of families. And so we said that if you are in relationship with others, you can pray in informed ways. And then we talked about practical care. We all can clean a house. We all can give food. We all can mow grass. Like, there are ways. But there was a fourth P also, above your pay grade. Do you remember that? And we talked about there are times in our lives where there is a death or the presence of supernatural evil is in a home or a divorce is coming or something else happens. And the Connect Group says, we love our friends, but we don't know what to do. And at that moment... This is why this is a shared responsibility. That is when you go to the church and ask for those who are trained in this stuff to get involved and assist and help. There's a shared responsibility for all of us here. Now, the second thing we talked about was personal responsibility, how we are all called to lead ourselves. And and the verse that was chosen was so key. It's Colossians 3.12, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. And think about that. Clothing means you have to put on the clothes. Someone else doesn't dress you. You dress yourself. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. You bear with each other and forgive one another. And if anyone has a grievance against you, forgive as the Lord has already forgiven you. We were talking about this in my connect group last night, and we were saying you can't be patient, gentle, humble, compassionate, and kind by yourself. This implies you are with other people. 
And so we talked about personal responsibility, choosing to put on the virtues of Christ. And then we talked about ministry responsibility. Under Mary's leadership and others, we are about to launch in the fall some key new care programs to help people in their own personal walk, but also we are beginning to systemize and systematically train people so we can care better. Last Sunday was also a significant place for our church time in our church. You may not know this, but last week the elders prayed over a group of volunteers called lay care ministers who along with the care department are going to begin to systematically visit those who are shut-ins, helping with hospital visits, and beginning to show very responsible care to our community. But today, I've been asked to focus on Pillar 2, to talk about personal responsibility. And Mary and I took time to co-write this sermon, and my real hope and prayer, not only this week, but for the last few months, is this will really come home. We live in a hurried world, where things and performance and education and status, we are constantly told will give us meaning and purpose, but we are also told the lie that they will give us rest. Yet as I look around, what I see more and more is boredom, restlessness, twitchy, agitated, edgy, unsettled, fearful, angry, avoiding, and over-confronting and overreacting. These are the words that describe our culture. Why? Because we've decided to believe the lie that we do not have souls. And for many of us that actually do believe we have souls, we still never think about it or live like we have one. Much of the current worldview has reduced us to the essence or the theory of the soul, a scientific-only understanding of humans. And even as Christians, if you are one here today, we rarely talk about soul or soul care, and suddenly and sinfully we begin to look like everyone else around us, hurried, haggard, harassed, and hungry for more. Yet, we are Christians, right? Oh yes, we think differently about the world, but why do so many of us over a long period not act differently? Why, unlike the rest of the world that's disconnected from Jesus and does not have the Spirit of God, why do we still not look any different in our emotional life? Oh yes, we believe that we're made in the image of God, and so we are the ones who defend the idea that we are not just physical or, or some type of organic computer, we are spiritual. And so at this, at this truth, if it is true, then you have to care and wonder and think about and see God's work in all of what we are. I mean, the Bible speaks about this can again. Well, Jesus' most famous promise, so many love quoting, is Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle, he says, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your bodies. No, you will find rest for your what? Souls. And so today I want to stop for a moment and ask you to look at your soul. Whether you know it at this moment or not, what is running your life at this very moment is your soul. Now, in the most general sense, the Jewish idea that stems from the Old Testament of the soul can also be called the heart. It is the place where your emotions and values, it's the life force of you, it's the immaterial spiritual side of you, it's the life principle that makes you you, it is where your mind and your will and your emotions are found. Time and time again, the Bible refers to the heart and the soul. There's this famous verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the soul at the heart. 
Proverbs 4.23, above all else, you guard your soul, you guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 25, the purpose of a, purpose, per, of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. Now these cries and these truths and these commands stem from the deepest part of you, the deepest part of us. It, it is a cry for peace and presence and order. It is a cry for a well-kept heart, a God-filled, God-ordered soul. I think it was Dallas Willard years ago who wrote these words. In a person with a well-kept heart, the soul will itself be properly ordered under God and in harmony with reality. And the outcome will be, as we've said, a person who's prepared for, lean in, and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good, in ways that are right. And any event in our life then would proceed as it should, because our soul is functioning properly under God. Now we hear the above, and we read the scriptures all the time, and we are forced to ask, well, why is this not the case for most of us? Why is it that we who actually personally know God, know God through Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, have the scriptures, have community, are not properly rooted in God? Why do so many of my insides and your insides actually look ripped or broken or abused? Why does the landscape look like an untended garden full of, uh, full of weeds and, and angry animals? Why for us as Christians do we look more like our culture and more of the world than actually we're supposed to? Let me say this more directly this morning. You cannot be biblically healthy without being emotionally healthy. We must reorder our souls post-conversion under the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and in the community of God. Now, some of the hardest people to talk to about this are actually faithful long-term Christians who appear to have everything together. They're so busy being good Christians that they don't stop to think about their own brokenness. Emotional issues and a lack of soul care are for those other people, those poor souls who obviously have so many problems and all we need to do is pray. Complacency among faithful Christians becomes the norm or even worse, superiority because you begin to buy into your own press that you have it all together. And so when things go wrong and they do, you naturally blame others or you blame the situation or you say actually it's the devil. And much of the time we do not stop and see part of the pain we're experiencing is our own stuff. Many of us don't allow ourselves to acknowledge pain, but instead say things like this, hashtag blessed. Everything's great. God is good. And they don't realize that their unwillingness to resolve a conflict or face the past as rooted in fear and unforgiveness. And they deceive themselves into believing that being at peace with everyone means I don't face down reality. One thing that makes me angry is when people spiritualize pain in the church. I can't stand when people quote this verse out of context. Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind me, I strain forward to what lies ahead. In other words, I don't need to deal with my past because that's all forgiven. I just need to go forward. But see, this is taking God's name in vain. 
This is the shadow side of using Jesus' name in the Bible to justify our actions or actually our inactions. I don't need to face my past. I don't need to bring up my past. I just need to look forward. It's all forgiven. Well, that's true. You might have forgiveness, but if you do not face your history, you are not healed. And if you're not healed, your past controls your present and affects your future. You can live in a state of denial as a Christian, suppressing pain or projecting blame on everyone else when actually much of the stuff is your responsibility. There are others who just say, well, it's never going to get better on this side of heaven. It's going to pull up my bootstraps and sing, this world is not my home, and one day it will all get better. Well, let's ask ourselves the question this morning. Why are our souls not well? Why are we who are in right relationships still sick? There are five reasons. The first one is this. It's obvious. It's sin. What's sin? It's when you miss the mark. It's when you trespass to places where we're not allowed to go. It's iniquity. It's deliberately violating God's will and God's law. Never forget when God says something something is wrong and he makes a law saying it's wrong scripturally, it actually is part of his DNA. Why does he think murder is wrong? Because he is life. And so when we sin, we don't just sin against ourselves or others. We actually assault the DNA of God. Paul says, oh, sin isn't unobvious. It's it's not gray. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are actually obvious. Sexual immorality, any sexual act forbidden in Scripture, sin, period. No discussion. Immature, uh, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, worshiping any other god, any other force, or actually getting involved in lifting anything up, wrong. Witchcraft, no, no, we we don't do that anymore. Hatred which implies racism, by the way, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, where we get the word heresy, false teaching, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. When we do these things, our souls get sick. When you play with fire, you get burned. Now, here's the second reason why our souls aren't well. Believing lies. When you begin to start believing something other than what this says about you, God, or others... Whether intentional or not, you will get sick. When you start saying that someone else's view or your views or the world views or the culture's view or demonic views have more power than what God has said in his word, then by action or by by belief, you will begin to get spiritually sick. And by the way, when you believe lies, you begin to say, I know better than God. And whether you understand it or not, it's self-idolatry on the grandest and most secret of scales. So if you say all the time, I'm garbage, I'm nothing, I'm ugly, and God says you're beautiful, who's right? If you say I can do anything I want, and the Bible says no, you can't, who's right? Lies bring death. Here's the third thing. Unfulfilled desires. The older you get, the more dreams you lose. You lose relationships. The things that you thought when you were younger, they were going to be like this, and now they're like that, and they did not come to be. And each unfulfilled dream provides an environment for you or your marriage or your family or your friendships or for church. These unmet expectations provide the environment to set you up for what they call the sins of the heart, envy, bitterness, jealousy, apathy, lack of faith, cynicism. And so this makes you unwell. Here's the fourth one. This is the one you rarely hear ever preached from any Christian pulpit because we're all hashtag blessed. Past pain. 
Did you know that our brain experiences emotional pain in the exact same place where our brain experiences physical pain? And so your brain, my brain, are wired to help us avoid experiencing emotional pain in the exact same way that it tells us to avoid physical pain. Our brains are literally hardwired, desired to help us survive. And so emotional pain, and all, let's be honest this morning, we've all experienced it, rejection, humiliation, grief, bullying, abuse, fill in the blank. When that happens to you, whether you know it or not, doctors and psychologists tell us it literally turns on the survival part of your brain. And we respond in three ways. Some of you know this. Fight, anger, hostility, aggression, flight, withdraw or avoid, or freeze, shut down, passivity, over-accommodating. Now, those are good strategies in the moment when there is real danger. But here's the problem none of us are talking about. Our brain interprets all of it the same. So anytime we go into an emotional situation that looks remotely the same as what it used to, it tells us to act the exact same way. And here's the problem. The older you get, if you don't actually resolve this stuff, it actually begins to literally uh, shape the way you respond to life and relationships. Oh, and here's one that's really important. And God. See, our movement is not a dead religion. Christianity is uniquely different. Why? Because it is a literal, personal relationship with God. But if you do not resolve past pain, past pain teaches your brain to avoid and to fight or flight, and that will spill into your relationship with God and others, and it will distort and derail your actual walk with God and others. So you can't just walk away and say, I'm all forgiven. It doesn't work that way. So when a situation occurs and it causes pain and you're not aware of your own triggers and you react in the same way again and again and again, here's what most of us do. We blame the situation or we blame the church or we blame the pastor or we blame our spouse or our friends or we blame God and we don't stop and take responsibility for part of our own stuff and we end up choosing to be a powerless victim of life. Now, most of us try to forget our past and move on, but this, this allows the past to control our present and future. Trying to walk away and forget your past is the worst thing you can do. It borders on sin. But as you begin to understand the connection between your past and your present through the power of the Spirit and through the work of Jesus, you can begin to undo the strings of your past so your present can be found. See, let me say this today with authority. Wholeness and holiness are possible in this life through Jesus. But you've got to stop playing plastic Christian Barbie time. Pain is real. Now, here's the last one. I've never heard this mentioned in a sermon in my whole life. When I talk to you what psychologists call attachment wounds. Attachment injuries occur when in times of stress, we expect a loved one to be there for us, and for some reason, they end up not being there. Even more significantly, in homes, and maybe this is your story, where you've experienced physical, emotional, or sexual abuse from your parents or caregivers... The root of your pain are attachment wounds. And as the person who's supposed to love you and protect you became the source of your greatest pain and fear, you can't resolve this. This can be the most paralyzing of human experiences because our innate need for connection is at war for our innate need to avoid pain. These experiences lead to emotional scarring that will mark you the rest of your life if left unresolved. 
Even we, and there are many of us here who were raised in good homes, caring homes, have still experienced various attachment injuries for something as simple as getting lost in the mall, to experience a time of being neglected by your parents or others because they were struggling with their own worries, to common disappointments when they weren't there for us or others. Attachment injuries can occur when a caregiver or loved one wasn't actually able to be with you physically or emotionally due to their own emotional distress and or some of them struggled with being close or others because of illness or death never could be there. Because our core need for safe attachment, which is God-given, and the fear of abandonment is such a human fundamental fear, it's actually so basic and profound, psychologists tell us it begins to form even before we speak. It's so powerful that doctors tell us that when things like this happen, it actually turns on our whole nervous system and floods our body with hormones. And the only way to deal with that is to have safe connection with God and others. It literally brings down the hormone levels when you're doing that. So we ask the question, why do our souls look like untended gardens? Well, because lots of us are playing with sin. Many of us are living in lies. Many of us have unfulfilled dreams. All of us have past pain, and some of us have attachment wounds. And if they are not untouched, if they're not touched and dealt with and worked out, we will perpetually continue to actually do the same patterns sinfully by walking away or freezing all the time or getting angry or all of the above. And so when someone lets us down again, we wonder why we don't feel like and look like Christ more But the reason is because we're not really willing to have a conversation about our soul. Let me say this again without being defensive. The number of people who leave churches or marriages because of unresolved personal past pain is innumerable. We remain trapped. But here's the challenge. If you choose to lean into this conversation to literally face sin and face lost dreams and to face past pain and wonder about attachment, if you choose to literally stay and fight for freedom with Jesus and his people, the Lord will begin to heal you and you will grow emotionally and spiritually because your soul will become well-ordered under God. By the way, God is not repulsed by your feelings because he loves us. And by the way, he feels and he invented this thing called feelings. God wants us to come to him to process our emotions. Have you read Lamentations? Have you read Psalms? God is not put off or disgusted. See, feelings in themselves are not good or evil. If you shame emotions, how can you end up beginning the process to feel, to understand, to grow? Finding permission to feel is the beginning of soul care. Now, as your pastor, there's nothing I can do for you to change your life. If that was possible, we'd be a very different church. I'd be a very different person. Unless you personally choose to apply what you're learning, to apply God's word and God's wisdom consistently, you will not change. Only you have the power to make the decision for holiness. No one else. You are the only person who can say, I will now desire healing. Remember what you've been given. God has given you his word, has given you his very Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God has given you salvation. In the heavenlies, you're already clean. God has given you forgiveness. God has given you community. Holiness and wholeness are possible. But here's the real crux in our conversation. Do you actually want it? 
For years and years when I was a youth pastor, I used to see this pattern and I didn't know how to articulate it biblically till later. For 420 years, the people of God are in Egypt, slaves, abused, misused, and they cry out for 420 years. God sends Moses, then Aaron, they go, one plague, two plague, five plagues, ten plagues. Pretty amazing. They're set free. They actually get rich when they leave. They, they go to the edge of a sea. God does this little thing called the Red Sea. That's sort of cool. They walk through. Scholars say anywhere between 800,000 and 1.2 million people are set free in a moment. So the people of God who are in right relationship with God, who now have a leader among them, is walking with God. And let me just remind everyone this morning, and God is physically visible to the people in this moment. In front of the community for these 40 years, there is a pillar of cloud. The very physical presence of God is right. I can see God. At night, he is the pillar of fire. Many of us say, if I could just see God, everything would be okay. So the people of God have found freedom. They're out of Egypt. God is among them. Moses is doing all this epic stuff. God starts providing water out of rocks. Bread starts falling from heaven. Quail start showing up. It is amazing. Halfway through the journey, and remember, no latrine systems. They're in the middle of a wilderness. They have to rely completely on God. There is no safety net except him. Halfway through, the people of God turn on Moses and say to him, We want to go back to Egypt. Let me paraphrase, because we are used to it. It is better to go back to Egypt because we are used to the bondage. It is too dangerous and costly between the promised land and Egypt to rely 100% on God because our fear is so strong that let's go back to what we're used to, though we hate it. And I see this, I've seen it in my own life, and I see this is the very thing that does so much of the work of God. So much of the time, God literally walks into churches and to people and says, you're already salvifically out of Egypt. I want to make you whole. Walk out of Egypt. And people say directly to the one that they love and give to, no, I love you. I do not trust you. So the question is, how do you move as a Christian from Egypt to the promised land and survive the wilderness with God's help? The first one is simply this. You say to the Holy Spirit, you are welcome to everything that I am. The very first result of sin was Adam and Eve hid from God. Have you thought about that? So many of us that know God and love God and read our Bible and go to Connect Group and we serve and we give, do not stop and look and see if there are large rooms filled with pain or fear or long ago hurts or ongoing unconfessed sin or new hurts. And that stuff doesn't just go away. And so there is this moment where you have to decide that you would like Jesus, who's, by the way, not bound by time and space, let that sit in for a moment, to walk into all of this. Step one is not hiding. 
Many of us know there are rooms and some of us don't. And if you don't know if there's rooms, ask the Holy Spirit. Trust me, he'll show you. You say, well, John, I don't understand what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying. You literally sit down and you say, okay, when I was 10 years old, Frank bullied me. And by the way, if you're laughing inside, oh, ho, ho, you all know by name the person who was mean to you in school. You still know their name. And you stop and you say, Jesus, I would like you to walk into that thing and begin to undo the thing so it doesn't affect me here anymore. That implies that you sit down and you say, I'm going to, in the best of my ability, with myself or others, systematically invite God into every lost dream. I thought my children would be this, and they turned out that. Stop. Invite the Holy Spirit. When I was 10 years old, this neighbor did. Stop. Invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not bound by time and faith. Listen, he can walk into your history and heal the root of that problem then and change you now. He's that good. But you have to stop and do it. And you're saying, but John, if I, that's right. That's why it's easier in Egypt. Here's the second thing we all need to do know your Bible, obey your Bible. I love how Peter, in 1 Peter 2.11, wrote these powerful words. Friends, I urge you as, as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain, to say no from sinful desires, which, notice the language, it's evocative, war against your what? Soul. You ever watched a movie... Saving Private Ryan's always that classic one. Or forget the movies. Have you watched the news in Syria in the last 12 months? You watched the terror and the horror and the, the carnage of war. Peter comes and says to us as Christians, that's what sin does to your soul. You get blown up. You bleed out and die. This is not neutral do not conform. In other words, impure thoughts, walk away. Committing any sexual act forbidden by Scripture, don't do it. Idolatry, witchcraft, spiritism, hating, fighting, jealousy, anger, constant efforts to make the best for yourself, complaints and being that critic all the time, feeling everyone else is wrong except your little group, wrong doctrine, envy, murder, murder drunkenness. What? That stuff kills. Machine guns your soul cuts you in half. And we don't need to do this anymore. Because unlike the rest of the world, we know what God says is right and wrong. And, oh, by the way, God doesn't change nor does his word. We don't evolve with the culture. God is forever. Culture passes. But we have the Holy Spirit in us who gives us the ability to say no to sin. Number one, invite God into it all. Number two, say no to sin. Here's the third thing. No matter your age this morning, be teachable. Proverbs 4.1, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention. Gain wisdom. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, only a child of, of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. The Father is saying, this is the wisdom of generations. This is God's word. There is nothing new out of the Son. I'm not saying this because I'm old and you're young. I'm not saying this because I'm afraid. No, no. God's word and God's wisdom 
is wisdom for life. Too many people have stumbled because of their own unwillingness to hear what other people are telling them. To learn from godly, wiser people. They already know all the answers, or they have a myriad of excuses, and they project blame that shields them from looking at themselves. Now, that is absolutely rooted in pride, but it's deeper than that. People that are unteachable are deeply insecure and all the time are wondering about failure. Unreachable people are deeply insecure and somehow they can't handle the truth of their own brokenness so they always blame someone else or they justify their experiences or they deny it exists or they make excuses or they just turn a blind eye. And so their capacity to grow dies. But what would happen in a church if we'd looked at our mistakes and our mess-ups and our sins as opportunities for healing and growing, what would the Lord do in an untended garden that suddenly got tended? What testimony would happen? You've got to be teachable. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Age does not equal wisdom. Wisdom equals wisdom. Here's the fourth thing. You've got to build relationships. Connection for me, for you, for us is life. We are wired to need relationships. Connection is when you feel heard, you're accepted and valued, and you can actually do that to others and they do it to you. Research actually shows us today that those who are connected in healthy relationships live longer, are genuinely happier and healthier, and can handle more stress. In other words, don't do it alone. This should not be news for us as Christians. We worship a God who is one God found in three persons. Our God's DNA is monotheism mutated. He is community. And we are made in the image of that God. And so God has hardwired us to love him and love others. We are called to actually be in community, to be human. But you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus alone. You cannot be spiritually healthy alone. What is the greatest statement by Jesus? Love God and love others. But what does that imply? That I am also going to be loved by God and I also will be loved by others. You cannot have a healthy soul without real relationship with other human beings. Here's the fifth thing. You've got to risk vulnerability. Gentlemen, are you listening to me? People don't expect you to be perfect. Maybe someone in your life does, but God doesn't, and most of us don't either. Vulnerability has the capability to inspire people. Perfectionism only arouses fear. Vulnerability is implied in the Christian faith and it's explicitly commanded. Don't you find it interesting in the book of James when it starts by saying, is any one of you sick? Physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, relationally. Are you sick? then you're going to call on the elders of the church to pray over you and anoint you with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayers offered in faith will make a sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up, and if they've sinned, they've been forgiven. Oh, ready? Here it is, verse 16. Therefore, you confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you will be healed. Only when you look into the eyes of another Christian who you have just told that very painful thing to, or they have just confronted you because you've been a little bit of a jerk, and or they have actually just heard that you've confessed sin to them, and they look at you, 
And they say things like, but I love you. I am for you. Because of Jesus' work, I know you're forgiven. We can move forward. See, that's soul care. For you who are like the teachers in the crowd, the theolog- you love all the big books, grace is not just some theological word. It's not just justification and sanctification in the heavens. Grace takes on skin and bones. Grace becomes incarnational when you sit across from a trusted person who loves Jesus and you spill your guts and they look at you and say, I love you, you're forgiven. Vulnerability is non-negotiable in a Christian walk. Now, some of you are saying, John... That's a lot. Yep. But let me put it this way. Deal with your emotions and your sin and your pain and dreams before they deal with you. Some of you have such deep woundedness that you want to do this and you can't. Okay. Well, that's when you get professional help. You don't have to do this alone. You talk to our care teams or our care pastor. You start talking to doctors. You, yeah, you go to a good Christian therapist who's going to help you walk through this. You start actually investing in some relationships that are real and healthy. Now, before anyone gets up and leaves, if you have to get your kids, don't worry, I'm not judging you if you're getting up. It's okay. (laughs) I just want to end by saying this. No leader or pastor can ask of their people what they're not willing to do themselves. So I just want to stop and there's no ego to this. There's no, I'm just I'm telling you my story. I have begun all of this. Not I've begun all of it. I've begun all of this. Have I arrived? <laughs> Talk to my wife. No. But here's what I'll say this morning. I have no secrets. None. I have no skeletons in my closet. None. My wife, my mom and my dad, other pastors even on the staff know everything about me. Everything. You're like, John, no, no. There were skeletons. They know it. Do I struggle with sin? (laughs) Anger, lust, jealousy, self-hate, fear, lack of faith. Yep, all of them plus. Gluttony. Okay, John, have you invited Jesus into every space? Yeah, I have. Every space that I know about. It's taken about three years, but I've done it. You say, well, John, I don't know you very well, but you seem to have it all together. You have a pretty good life. Okay. Well, let me tell you about my pain. I was sexually abused by neighbors, bullied because of my weight, hated the way I looked all through high school. I have dyslexia to the hilt. (laughs) You're like, really? Yes, I actually do. So I was always embarrassed, always felt dumb, and always felt different. Always. Attachment wounds. Yeah, I got them. Uh, when I was born, my mom got real sick. Real sick. And for about two years, got real sick. And so the connection, not so strong. My dad, and if you know my mom and dad, some of you do, unbelievable people. Like, unbelievable people. Amazing parents. But mom had that, and dad grew up in a highly abusive. Sorry. I didn't think I was going to cry. I was going to try not to. A highly abusive religious environment. Um, Almost like a residential school, but not native. And so 
I'm an only child. And so all that spilled onto me. Then I grew up all over the world. I never got rooted. I'm a third culture kid. And so do I have attachment issues? Oh, you betcha I do. As a result, am I always kind to my wife? Nope. Am I too hard on my kids? Yes. Do I instinctually push people away because I'm always preparing to leave or preparing for people to die? Yep. I used to. I don't do this anymore. God's so good. I used to enter every single conversation in the back of my mind intellectually preparing for a fight so I would have the better idea or the better comeback so I could be in control and never get hurt again. Do you know how exhausting that is? Yet, Jesus showed up and he's healed me of so much of this. He's forgiven me. He's confronted me. He started making me whole. Public confession, yeah, I've done it in spades. Long-term prayer, oh, still involved. Deliverance, yeah, went through it and I'm free. Jesus works every time. Therapy, big time. Some of you were in the waiting room with me. You got very nervous when you walked in and sat down because you thought I was probably there to do counseling with others. No, no. I was there for me. Has Jesus used all this for his glory? Oh, yes. Has he actually turned even negative things? Is his kingdom furthered? Yes, it is. Is God good? No, he actually is. Is he trustworthy? There is no one like him. Why would you run from him? Is he a comforter? Beyond measure. Is he my good shepherd? Unbelievable. Is he a great healer? There is no better physician than him. But personal responsibility for the care of your soul starts with you. Care in a church foundationally is connected to your chosen response. Biblical emotional well-being is nothing more than soul care. And you cannot be spiritually healthy and not be emotionally healthy. Because you actually have a soul that's running your life. So here is my simple invitation. I don't expect some grand response because this is just so much. What I am challenging you to do is this. Wholeness and holiness are possible. But it means that we as a church in the middle of doing family and life and friendships and also reaching out and growing a church to 10,000, we all make the covenant vow-like decision that no matter the level of uncomfortability or cost, we will walk with God to where he takes us. In other words, we will say no to Egypt, whether it's past pain or attachment or sinful desires or lust. No, and we know there's a better thing coming, and we will trust God and follow through on some of this in the middle. Why does this matter? Because number one, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in the full. And that's a promise that you can bank on. Here's the second reason. Because the world is desperate to believe our faith is true. They're just looking at a bunch of us wondering if it is. So let me just simply pray. Let's just pray and begin a conversation with God about this. Lord, the amount of stuff in a room like this 
let alone up at the port, let alone in the next service, let alone across thousands of people, is insurmountable because we're broken, sinful human beings. So number one, if we just want to say thank you that we're not alone this morning. Like just thank you for being in our life. But my request this morning is that the Holy Spirit would be sent out by the Father and the Son and today and in this week and beyond. You, Holy Spirit, not our hearts and not the devil, the Holy Spirit begins to specifically point out all this stuff. Not to overwhelm us or destroy us, but to begin to heal us so we can clothe ourselves anew with the virtues of Colossians 3. Lord, we've prayed for revival in this church for years and thank you for so much of it. But revival implies overcoming sin and healing brokenness. So Lord Jesus, Holy Father, Holy Spirit, I pray for holiness in this church. I pray for wholeness in this church. And I pray for the love of God to drive out fear in this church. And I pray it would be done in such a profound way that people who have been Christians even for years would genuinely be different. Come, Lord, do your strange work among us. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.